welcome to another episode of the Programmatic Digest podcast. I am your host, Ellen Parker, and we are in our third episode of the Programmatic Ninja Wellbeing Series. We have a special guest again, Brett, who's joining us. How are you doing, Brett? Hey, I'm great. How are you doing? Doing fantastic. So the first two episodes, first one, we talked about the airing of the grievance. <laughs> I love the title, but it was basically just talking about challenges that we as programmatic buyers, programmatic traders, seniors, whatever we faced and why in some of the solution. And last week, you, one of the episodes that we covered was almost minimizing human errors by looking at different type of automation, right? Like, like how do we make sure that we increase efficiency with some level of automation so that episode is really great if you guys have not heard this up these the first two episodes it's okay to go ahead and listen to this one and just refer back to the first two it's totally fine so today we're going to talk about how to set up a programmatic team successfully and what we mean by that is that we're going to talk about like the option of staffing the political term that we throw out there is staff augmentation. When, as a team, is it time to hire or when is it time to just book a freelancer, a contractor via either We Are Rosie Work Produce or Digital X Media, you name it. Um, so we'll talk about different criteria when to do that. But also we'll talk about when, as a buyer, we want to consider taking on a project. So just want to let every listeners know that Brett and I both work for some of the companies mentioned. We will share our experience, but you have to form your own opinion and uh, understand that the grass is not always green on the other side, but the grass you stand on should be green enough because you're the one that's pouring the water, okay? So I'm gonna leave it at that. (laughs) So let's- Is that something that- Go ahead. Is that an analogy that you had prepared? Is that something that you just came up with? Because that was nice. (laughs) Thank you. I do come up with them once in a while, uh, even though my husband don't give me the credit, but he likes it. He likes it. Yeah. I mean, I just, because like we tend to, in the case where you see, oh, she's working for this big company and I'm working for a smaller mom and pop shop, like ad agency. And it's a hot mess. It's like, no, sometimes (laughs) the larger enterprise agencies are not better organized. (laughs) the smaller agencies but at the same time as you know you gotta you gotta look at the pros and cons there's always going to be a hot mess everywhere it's like how do you what you make of it you know totally no i i definitely agree with that everywhere is kind of a hot mess but like (laughs) you know like um i think that a lot of that is just the nature of what we do in that a lot of brands and agencies um, think of programmatic as something that is an efficiency generator that fills in the gaps and is very easy to manipulate and very flexible. Mm -hmm. And I think what's interesting is that I think we almost as traders sort of like adapt those characteristics, right? Because like as, as part of our personality, it almost feels like that's what we have to do to to be able to survive. You know, you've got to be very flexible and be able to move very quickly and kind of be able to go crazy, you know, a little bit. I find that programmatic is a, the, the the issue of like agency size is really interesting to mm-hmm. me to hear you say that more like enterprise, like large holding companies can often be more disorganized. I would say that that, that does feel yeah. like right to me. Yeah. 
But I would also say as like a counterpoint, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. anytime that I've been at a larger agency, and this is maybe something that we've talked about before, yeah. it, it often feels to me almost the exact same as a smaller agency, just because of the way yeah. that teams are, are sort of sectioned off and siloed mm-hmm. and individual locations within, an, within a holding company really don't feel, I mean, I think we do, people try, you know, to, to connect the gaps and um, you know, there, there will be all, all hands meetings across all the yeah. locations and, you know, people get together for Christmas events and things like that sometimes. But I mean, whether, whether you're geographically distributed or things are just broken up by accounts, really, we are, we do often just kind of feel on our own, whether you're at a holding company or at like a, a smaller yeah. agency and we get put into silos, which I think is yeah, really, yeah, yeah. really tough to deal with. Um, I'm really curious what your experiences have been. Have you only ever worked on like silos where where people were were set up um, on certain accounts, or have you been on a more open team structure when you when you were at agencies? So I've been on both, and I think it's a good segue into today's topic, right? Because let's define how teams are set up. So there's, in my experience, there are two very popular and distinct model of a team's. Uh, dynamic. And what I mean by that is that when you work for, let's say, a certain type of agency, usually it's the integrated ad agency. So they most likely, when we hear integrated advertising agency or marketing or media agency or firm, whichever it is, you can assume that they're offering more than just programmatic. So social search, all the good stuff. Most agencies nowadays do this unless you're working for agency trading desk. Um, And even so, sometimes. So the first model I will define is working for, and this model is very popular in the media holding companies where, you know, the publicists of the world or the OMDs or the Dentsu is where everybody on one team, there's several teams that are part of the programmatic activation, like the programmatic launch, like how the campaign gets launched. There's a team that's going to be taking care of the ad servers, so CM360 only. So those are the ad ops that are going to upload the creative. You know, sometimes they also take care of um, tracking and measurement and attribution for the campaign at the pre-launch of the campaign. And then you get the traders, which is setting up in the DSP and uh, managing the campaign, most likely optimizing. So the trader, like you and I. And then you'll get somebody separated that's reporting on that account. And then you'll get another person that's the account manager that is separated again from the programmatic trader, the programmatic ad ops, or the programmatic reporting person. Let's call them data analyst. So that model is popular in larger, I've seen it in larger media holding companies again. It's nothing new. You can literally look it up. Um, it's not like, like I'm <laughs> telling anybody a secret. <laughs> it's literally what it is. Yep. But I'm finding out that some smaller to medium-sized agencies, okay, or get not a public publicly traded agency, basically, have adopted this model as well. So the pros and cons for this first model is that you're developing a master at that one thing, okay? They're developing efficiency, and that's how you move juniors to seniors to directors. The cons is that you're mastering just that one thing. So... As a leader of this model, you have to remember to rotate your people so they get to, on the Sentium 360, go into setting up in the DSP and mon- um, optimizing, and then understanding how reporting is completed. All four of these roles are really important in what makes a, a trader magical, 
okay, including account management, because some of those, like some add-ups in this model that I'm referring to are not client-facing at all. Some traders are not client-facing at all. So it's really just, this is where the siloed also comes into play because sometimes some of these teams barely talk to each other and they're all on the same activation, in the same activation department. Does that make sense so far? Yeah, yeah, it does. I love what you said about the fact that you're creating masters Mm -hmm. in, in one thing with staffing model like that. That's really interesting to me because that is something that I, that's definitely something that I've noticed. Yeah. Um, or something, you know, something that I've experienced. And um mm-hmm. it's really interesting to me because like Google Analytics is one of those things that I think of when when you talk about like mastering programmatic or something like a lot of traders mm-hmm. that I've run into who have just sort of been in programmatic and, and haven't bounced around more. I like I've I've met people that like have never been in Google Analytics yeah. or, you know, like they've only used it very, very sparingly. And like growing up in search and social mm-hmm. and like having to like constantly be in Google Analytics and manipulating the data to try and understand, you know, yeah, the attribution paths that people were making and making sure that I like I had an understanding of the conversion events that were there. It's 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 strange mm-hmm. to me that like how that hasn't how um sort of like the focus on like what you said, like building masters in certain areas has led to people not picking up a lot of more like basic yeah. skills. Um, it does feel to me like it creates a problem. And I, from like the agency leadership perspective, mm-hmm. it does feel like to me like something, like something you could achieve and something you could strive for. But I could see how a lot of agencies um, would balk at the effort um, of like recreating their staffing models and moving away from a model like this, but I just feel like you're setting yourself up for failure um, when you create such like specialization like this. Not that specialization is a bad Mm -hmm. thing. Like I I think maybe we should just think about it differently. Like maybe people should be able to rotate. Yeah, that's what I said. Yeah, you have to rotate them. That's a good point. That's a good point. You have to rotate them and it doesn't have to be like on a monthly basis. Like you have to set up a path where, okay, if you start in ops, which is a good way to start, because some of the others people can also play the role of QAing in the DSB. So that also helps them develop that skill set they're going to need as a trader that's operating solely in a DSP or multiple DSP for that one account, for those multiple accounts. And then again, you move them into that strategic role, which is reporting on their campaign beyond just reporting numbers, which I think is very important. Like, what is the insight? Well, what's the told story you're trying to tell? You know, I think that's how you would move somebody. And that's how you create programmatic ninjas that are that could feel a senior role because now you've you've moved them from technical to analytic and analytical sorry Hmm. and that's the pros and cons of having this model from a business perspective from an agency perspective it makes sense because everybody is has a specific role there are no clear expectation there there are deadlines and within this amount of days you're done setting up sam 360 while you know the trade is done in trade desk or delphic while the reporting team has the shell of the dashboard built. And so launch is efficient that way as well. But I agree with you. And I think that's a good segue into the second model, which is that one traded does it all. (laughs) It does it all. And actually, I'll even point at a third model, an honorary mention uh, after this. But 
The second model would be exactly what what you mentioned, like the trader is responsible for sometime, most likely ad serving setup, like in CM360, they'll set up their campaign in DV360. And then when there's a monthly report, a weekly report, they're involved as sending at least the insight, like what are the optimization um, that you've completed in the last couple of weeks or so. Um, Sometimes they're even part of the building of the reporting. So let's say it's a PDF or I don't know, a Word document, or even if it's like um, in a Google Data Studio, like a GDS, sometimes you can add your insight depending on how you built it. And so that mm-hmm. trader is, like you said, much more flexible sometimes because they're able to do it all, right? They're, they're touching different things. And then there's pros and cons to this. Hey, y'all. So I am announcing the biggest, the brightest, the loudest party. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Biggest bootcamp series ever. Nobody else is doing this out there. Okay. So what is it you ask? Let me tell you. We all know that optimization as a trader is one of the most important. I mean, you hear me say this all the time on the podcast and the content. You got to optimize find time, but time is a commodity. And sometimes you just don't have enough time to. So I'm going to be doing four classes, four master classes in March, once a week for only an hour. So you only have an hour commitment for a week. The very first class will be about best practicing, which targeting levers to look for, how to look for those targeting levers, and when to make the decision of using this targeting levers to optimize your campaign. The second class will be about how to optimize inventory. Think about site lists, think about data providers, and I will have live example where I will walk you through a pivot table and an Excel sheet with report with real data to help you really continue. But also I'll provide some best guides and some uh, workbooks so that you can follow through and then you can take it with you and implement in your campaigns. The third class is going to be how to optimize for the other less popular metrics, such as like frequency, reach, recency, time of day. So we're also going to have access to a report where we'll take you through how to look at each of those metrics and also decide like, hey, at this frequency, we are meeting our goal X or we don't need to be increasing frequency because there's no return on this change, et cetera. And the last class is going to be with a special partner that we're going to announce very, very soon, but they're going to help us understand the difference between AI versus manual optimization. And they're also going to have a live example, okay? So it is a really cool masterclass that I'm going to be offering. It will not be free. It will have a small investment. But if you're interested in just finding out more information, go ahead and go to helenparker.com forward slash optimization masterclass and then join our waitlist. And then you'll get on our waitlist and you'll receive emails about details, how to sign up to each masterclass, how much it will take, if you're signing up in a group, how much discount you'll be eligible for, who's going to be our special partner. And also, if you have uh, the opportunity to maybe sponsor somebody, there'll be a lot of good stuff coming to you your way. So if you're interested, helenparker.com forward slash optimization masterclass. Again, it's a four hour series, but each will be break down by hour once a week, and it will each have a specific topic of optimization and you'll, you may have access to guides and workbooks during that time. So it's really cool. You have nothing to lose. Let's go ahead and level up that skill set. Let's go ahead and teach you how to be efficient when it comes to optimization because God knows time is a commodity and we don't have a lot of it. Okay. So helenparker.com forward slash 
Optimization Masterclass. Thank you. Right. So I want to hear your opinion about the pros and cons for, for this second model. What do you think? Uh, it's a great question. Well, I'll say in my first programmatic role, I had to mm-hmm. do more of the second model where yeah, I had to get too. into campaign manager and traffic and, mm-hmm. you know, whatever there, f- I, I didn't place floodlights on the site, but I did everything yeah, else. Yeah. Like, um, man, it, it's bringing me back. Like I, I honestly, I, I've pushed away a lot of the <laughs> campaign manager. I found it very frustrating. It's one of those things that, like, I think certain. I don't know. Is I know that like I just had difficulty with. Um, <laughs> I hated campaign manager. Um, I think that I think that you should give people flexibility to 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 jump into things mm-hmm. like you know learning the adopt side of the business I, I think it's important because it did give me a, an under although I didn't enjoy it it did give me a, a better understanding yeah. of how of what the hell an ad server yeah. is and sort of like the the strategy and and planning that needs to go into into placement setup mm-hmm. it's an important piece of how we build out our campaigns um that unless you've worked a little bit in adopts I just don't think you think about mm, um so I think it is valuable to just have that diversity of experience. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. And that's where sometimes the first model doesn't always not work, but doesn't always, is not always compatible for certain things because CM360 will set up a certain way and then DB360 would need to be set up another way. And so I've had a lot of situation where placements in CM360, and this is a conversation that maybe a senior who's, who's touched both, platform will understand better so if you haven't just just hang tight hang tight we're getting to a point where you'll be able to get here but the ad serving technology allows us to set up in many ways but when you come to a placement and the example of dv360 and cm360 like i've seen situation where the placement needed to be set up based on how we build this um this vendor right so it would be like one placement would be just going to a particular site the other one will be going to that particular app, let's say TripAdvisor. And then another one was like a Dara customization audience. But in DB360, it's tactic-based. So it's behavioral, <laughs> it's behavioral, it's retargeting and things like that. So sometimes those placements don't always match with how we set up in DB360. And so I just want to give that illustration because I think it's a great point too. And, and a, maybe a not so positive point about why setting it up that siloed, like the big agency, the first model style can not communicate. Now it's an easy fix. All y'all got to do is come up with a standard (laughs) and agree on that standards and then go from there. But another limitation for that is that you set up a a campaign a certain way. And as a trader, you should be able to test new ad group, new tactics, new audiences. And sometimes you cannot do that as freely as you should because you have to request a new placement from the adopts team, right? And the yeah. reason why we separate that way too is because of reporting. So when the reporting teams pulled from the ad servers, they can clearly see how the placements are set up and report on those. And again, if the placement is not the same as, again, the ad group in DV360, then there's, you know, then you create another challenge for the reporting team. So that's also one, I would say, a challenge that the model one offers. 
I think I think the model two that we're talking about is definitely popular in small to medium sized agencies. Again, those are not the publicly traded agencies, or even if they're publicly traded, it's much it's much efficient to have somebody own a handful of accounts and have them own it from again ad serving all the way to reporting and even acting sometimes as account manager or project managers of this account because now they know so much of the journey of everything that's happening during the launch that the account manager or the salesperson on the account or the whichever director of of is on this account or client facing can pull them in and so there's also a client facing involved with that second model for the trader and I think that's really great but I will talk about the challenges it can become very messy as you now have several roles under one and most likely that trader will have one too many campaigns to handle and will not be able to give high quality attention to all of those roles within those campaigns you see what I mean so sometimes we'll have a launch a new campaign launching and there's five campaigns that need reporting by the 10th of every month right and that could be really stressful for that trader because now they have to do all five because they're the only one, but then they have a new campaign and have new creative. And so sometimes that's where the, the urgency of our industry <laughs> comes into play where things have to get done ASAP, 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 ASAP. So the second model is yep. great to build flexible and knowledgeable and skilled trader. But whew, we got a lot of frustrated traders out there and very stressed traders because this model does not protect their mental health, their physical, spiritual health, emotional health. So what do you think about that? What do you, you've been in the situation. So I've held both, both roles before, but in the, in the second yeah. model, what do you think? <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll, I'll tell you the pro, um, you the, the 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 trader does get more experience yeah. like they they learn more pieces of the puzzle um and i i do think that you can get a better grasp of the campaigns that you're running and start and, and really start to, to to grow as a trader um by taking on more of the insights pieces reporting and and add ups i like i i do think it's very valuable so like, i do think people should maybe not take on a role like this where they're doing everything. I don't think that that, that has to be the way that you do yeah. it, but um, I do think that people should get this experience however they can. Yeah. Um, so I think if, <laughs> while it's, not, I didn't love it having to to do everything, yeah. it was a very valuable learning experience. Yeah. I like that. I like it. What about your challenges? I, I will say that, um, oh, sorry, you, you had a bonus third model that you wanted to talk about. I have, I have like a, a little bit of additionals, like kind of like staffing model stuff that I want to talk about, but I'm curious what your third. My third one, the honorary was. mention would be out, out doing model two and involving maybe other channels like search and social. So I've worked in a model where the ad agency gave us again, a handful of account to own. And it would look like very similar to model two. So, you know, and sometimes not all agencies um, use ad serving and that's okay. But I look I like DSP reporting. So managing in the DSP reporting and being some client facing uh, from a strategic perspective in a DSP and in search and in social platform sometimes. So you'll own the whole paid media 
uh, strategy for that one brand. So that's like the honorary third model we should we should mention because very, very, very often, and this model is becoming more popular and I've seen it where the trader was hired to become a trader and ask like, hey, um, so trader, the, the, the programmatic buy is going on a hiatus for a couple months, but we would love to teach you Facebook or Meta excuse me, meta. And so they learn how to run a campaign in meta. And then a few months later, they'll run out a campaign in YouTube, Google ads, and then run search. So that's the honorary mention. It's like the third model is that you are not only learning how to manage a programmatic campaign, but now for that same brand, you're managing their social buy and then you're managing their search buy. And yeah. that's where Google Analytics I, comes into play, I think, more than just being a trader and a programmatic trader is that now, because you're using search, you're forced to look at another platform to look at your, you know, your performance. And usually Google Analytics is it. Interesting. Yeah, that is, I'm glad that you brought that up as a third, third yeah. model. I, that, that is how I've worked in the past, Same too, thing. where... You would be on one account or two accounts, but you would do all yep. the channels. And yeah, I, I don't, I don't hate that. Um, I think that it, 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 it takes a lot of the burden off of uh, having a project manager or having, you know, if you're if you're a remote team or a team that just for whatever reason um, may struggle a little bit more with collaboration, a little bit more of an isolated team. What that does is that. It, it sort of takes out that element of all of the camp, all of the channels being planned independently and just kind of feeling incohesive, mm -hmm. you know? Um, so yeah, if you have one person putting together a media strategy yeah. across multiple channels, meta, you know, whatever social channels, LinkedIn, programmatic, whatever. So there, there's a lot of times at a, a larger agency, there is one person who is, who is looking over the entire strategy, but still you're trying to wrangle a whole bunch of different people's ideas yeah. and thoughts and turn it into something that makes sense. But mm -hmm. um, so that does definitely feel like a pro um, of this model. However, I will say that I have personally found it a little bit more challenging to try to maintain yeah. multiple um, ad platforms at the same time. Ah, like yes, it, we talk about six or seven, I, I, I almost, six or seven yeah I, on average i feel like it's hard <sighs> sorry go that's, ahead that's disgusting. i feel like it's harder to manage multiple platforms yeah. than to manage multiple clients just within one platform for oh sure. hell yeah well yeah but there are pros yeah 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 yeah. i love i love what you just I said i also just am not a fan of that anymore i like i appreciate this comment because that's definitely one of the challenges of having that third model it's like yo <laughs> now you log into google analytics just for review again, you may not even be asked to set up, hopefully nothing to be set up in Google, but you still have to take account of that platform. And so you're setting up and optimizing in, in Google ads. Sometimes Microsoft is, is involved. There's a DSP, sometimes there's two DSPs. Um, and if you're asking, why would it be two DSPs in the case of in the case of healthcare, you might be using a DSP and uh, another specialized DSP like PulsePoint or something like that, right? Yep. And then there's the yeah, I was gonna say both right. And then there's a case where there's LinkedIn involved, so using LinkedIn ads manager, Twitter ads manager, uh, Meta, and sometimes TikTok. And so for that one client, you are up to like you're setting up, 
everything and you're optimizing, so monitoring everything. So the pro, like we said, the, the good the advantage of having that is like, dang, you now have experience in all of those new platforms beyond programmatic. So when you're looking at advancement, career advancement, you can now be something like a director of media instead of just director of programmatic media, because now you have a perspective of like, oh, I know how to do a multi-channel strategy. Okay, that's a really great thing. But while you're in the trenches, it could become very overwhelmed because not all tech are created equal. And maybe I sound biased, but the most transparency that I've had in terms of measurement has come from programmatic DSPs. It ain't come from Meta. I'm not trying to shit on Meta. It ain't come from Google Ads, please. Okay, so search people, my cousin in search world, chill, calm down. Um, it has definitely not come from LinkedIn and, and Twitter. Okay, so there are limitations in how you're going to be able to really look at that measurement. And you'll look at programmatic and be like, yo, I want to know this same data in Facebook or Meta, whatever. But you won't. You just can't because that's not something they give you. Okay, um, so I think that's there's a yeah. good pro and cons to, to every model. You just got to remember to be flexible enough. And when you're talking about starting in the industry, that's I think that's a really important point to understand as well. Like, oh, you're going to be held accountable for these things or these are your expectations. Yeah, I mean, that, this, is a, this is fun stuff to talk about. Um, part of me wishes that, um, you know, part of me does long for those days where I got to touch multiple, like yeah. multiple <laughs> channels. Yeah. Like, cause like you get that, you get that flexibility yeah. in your, in your day and you get to, I feel like you, you do, it's one of those other, ways that we learn more right similar to, to taking on ad ops and, and reporting um but yeah I, I I am pretty happy with the fact that I've narrowed down into programmatic yeah. I think that everyone should just should try um search social at least yeah. once you know like run, a, run a handful of campaigns in there one thing that I'm really curious about though uh, so I want I do want to talk a, a little bit about utilizing freelancers mm, that's um good. But I'm also curious, I, I would say I would throw out one more staffing model. Okay. Um, and uh, so I, I work at Canvas Worldwide mm -hmm. um, out of L.A. working on Stars Entertainment. Um, we very much follow the first model that you've that you've outlined yeah. where I have an ad, ad ops counterpart. I have analytics counterparts. Yeah. I have strategy investment counterparts. And like there's a full team that I'm supported by, um, mm -hmm. which like we end up working pretty well Good. together. I um one other staffing model that I that I I'm interested in just for like just looking at programmatic teams is the the concept of siloing programmatic teams around accounts versus just let it, having everyone be more of an open programmatic team. To me, a lot of the the concerns that people have who work in programmatic could be alleviated if we took people off of off of individual accounts. I think that um, burnout, a lot of that comes from sort of the repetition of working on the same stuff over and over and over oh, and I over see. and over and over again. I, I think that, it, you know, working on working in silos on specific accounts makes it harder for us to take vacation time, makes it harder for us to to manage our workload. It, it really becomes more of a, a very ebb and flow up and down sort of thing where get crazy busy at launch times where you know if you don't force people to just like 
sit and look at one account or two accounts, yeah. three accounts, whatever, and you and you let people collaborate across accounts, you're creating natural vacation coverage and alleviating alleviating those pain points where it, it, it can often feel like when I'm launching a campaign and I'm crazy busy, someone else may not be busy. And then I have to go, like, if I want to tap into getting them, I have to, you know, navigate through supervisors, like request permission to loop someone in on this, get them up to speed. Yeah. Whereas if a programmatic team collaborated on and worked like consistently and wasn't held to just like an individual set of accounts, mm -hmm. you're building in that coverage. And I I think it's something that people should should really consider. I'm yeah. really curious what your thoughts are. So Hmm. I think it's a great point. And, and I have several comments, personal and professional. But let's start with this. That's why I always suggest to have like a, I always suggest to have like a training plan, right? A roadmap. Training should not start in the first three months or six months of your career for anybody you're working. It should be continuous. And sometimes when you hear training, we hear about how to do this or how to do that, which is part of it. But it's also developing what you just said, this team mindset that somebody can take a vacation and we don't have to text them to ask them question about why did you do this or when is this due? So there's several things to fix this. So internal processes should include where um, in your example, if you have to take a vacation, like you have documentation already said that you've updated on the go, like once a week. Okay, it's not always realistic, but ideally you would want to put all of your changes weekly in a document that's accessible to the whole team and the account manager so that if you're out, they can refer to that document and you'd be like, oh, okay, what's going on? Okay, cool. I know kind of what he did. Another thing is that to address the part where you said, you know, sometimes it gets boring because you're working on the same account for like seven years. Well, that's part of the reason why I also say in that roadmap, you need to progress that talent. Because you're losing that talent to somebody else. Because now if I'm bored, I want to specialize in healthcare or e-commerce or I want to try something else, right? So how do you make sure you've, you retain that loyal, you move them through, you rotate campaigns. Now you're not, don't rotate campaigns once every month. I don't know if that's beneficial yet, unless you're a director, but definitely rotate after a few months, after a few campaigns, like whether it's a year or two years in. And the easiest way to seemingly move that senior across another account and give them a promotion to handle more of like a larger base account or a larger brand would be to have a junior with them for that six month of transition. And so now you're giving somebody else on the team the opportunity to grow with that senior, learn hands-on, okay? So that seniors like you, you can you know, take that vacation because it will be that responsibility for you to delegate and train that person with time. So you don't have to do it all in one, but we wait until somebody has to go on vacation to do this. Usually we wait the last day or two before you, you're about to fly off. Right. Or we wait that last week <laughs> when somebody is about to find another job. So in recap, mm -hmm. I definitely, I definitely, I definitely been in a situation where it's, it's tough to take a vacation, but I shouldn't feel guilty about it. I should not feel guilty about it yeah. because I did everything I needed to do and I'm loyal to my company and I need a break. And when I come back, I'm a better person. I'm a better trader. And that's much more important. That's why I strongly recommend vacation. I know you and I had <laughs> a side conversation before we recorded, but 
vacation is important. And it, sometimes it doesn't mean like you have to go down at the beach or do something or go skiing, which is nice. Sometimes it's like completely unplugging, not responding to anything work-related. And I absolutely don't think it's fair as a manager or director to reach out to your people while on vacation. I don't, I still don't understand if there's a big enough emergency for you to call that person on their paid time off, well-deserved and earned paid time off. I don't think so. I, I still, I don't know. Give me some examples so I can change my mind. But every time somebody tells me something, I'm like, nope, that's still not important enough. Nope, that's still not important enough. This person yeah. deserves that I, mean, I can't think of anything. I mean, I can't think of anything. I, I was going to say like, okay, well, you know, you campaign overspent or something or the ads were supposed to, these ads were supposed to rotate in and they didn't get rotated in. Okay, well, I mean, there should be backup Boom. <laughs> in place, you know. Boom. And if it's so. mist a mistake I did, you can wait until I come back and address this particular situation where I made a mistake or there was human error involved, right? And if I'm addressing yeah. this, you better not, as a manager, tell me you don't fucked up. You better come in and say, let's improve what just happened. Okay. You had a great vacation. I appreciate you. Moving forward, this is how we're going to handle this situation and have concrete solution for it. Not just saying, why did you mess up? Like, have y'all, if y'all have not read How to Win and Influence uh, Friends from Dale Carnegie, go read it. Every manager's on this planet should read this because sometimes when somebody makes a mistake, we don't need to talk about why was this done? What are you going to? No, sometimes just making a mistake is the lesson of itself. I will never forget overspending on my campaign. And I will also never forget underspending and having to refund a can uh, the, <laughs> the difference to a client. That is something I'll never forget. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I don't need the manager to come remind me. I'm eight and a half years into yeah. my media career, basically. And every mistake that I make, um, mm -hmm. I still get really pissed at myself. Yeah, for. it's like we learn. <laughs> I, I promise you don't have to. I promise you don't have to make me feel bad. I feel bad already. Yeah, I already feel so guilty. So knowing that from a human perspective, from a behavioral perspective, we already feel so bad. How are you going to make sure that this person doesn't stay in that hole? Because it doesn't help you as a manager to let them feel guilty about their mistake. You are supposed to uplift and train and really help this person grow. Okay. So if you're over there making sure that everybody's reminded of their mistake, every other meetings, you're, you're an asshole. Okay. Let's just say you're just an asshole. You need Jesus. You need to, you need some time off for yourself, sir, or ma'am. So go get that. So as a manager, how are you going to uplift these people? Okay, well, this happened, but there's many ways we can improve this. Let's talk about your feedback. I'm not asking for an apology. I'm asking about like, how can I make sure that as a manager, this doesn't happen? Or you, do you need more time? Um, was this mistake because you were ready to go on vacation and nobody had time to QA you? And if nobody had time to QA you, manager is up to you to QA the person. That's your responsibility. So you're at fault. Um, you know, like that's the type of conversation you should have when addressing this type of conversation. But like to go back to the point of like when to hire a freelance and why to hire a freelance, that's exactly why you would consider hire somebody that like contract a senior level since most of us don't have that junior senior model. Because if you have that junior and senior model, like Brett, if you have a junior that works directly under you and that you're uplifting and then you're constantly saying, delegating like those tasks where they're involved enough 
Okay. And then it's also up to you to let them know. And I'm just using Brett as an example here, y'all. Don't don't go emailing Brett. But um, but Brett, like it's he's uplifting that junior and giving giving him the tool so that Brett can kick a vacation and not have to look back. Now, I've had instances where I told the junior, just text me if you're confused, but don't tell them. I'm not gonna take no text or call from anybody else but you. <laughs> Because I care about the juniors and I've done that. that. And most of them don't text you. They don't because they know enough because I've given them everything they need, you know, and I can take a vacation. But if you have that model, anybody can take a great vacation. The junior in the account should know enough of it. Your manager, the leader should know enough so that both of them can fill in the blanks for you taking a vacation. vacation. Mm -mm, Don't give me that. Yeah. You know, as a manager, I don't have time for, well, you shouldn't be a manager if you don't have time to catch that. You don't, you know? <laughs> well, I, I I like what you've said in that um, I, I think if sort of like the, if the revenue, if the P&L of, of a, like a program of, of say like a programmatic account, a client that you have doesn't allow you to have a junior, senior staff. True, there's a, that's that's then, important to cover too. Let's talk about that. Yeah. If the P&L doesn't allow you to staff a junior senior I, I think people should be more open to like if the if if you have one person who's who's you know a little bit who's junior managing an account by mm-hmm. themselves you know like let's for whatever reason you, you only got a very small programmatic right, team right you should not hesitate to, to to try to plug in a more senior freelancer like through a we are Rosie I, I've worked with them in the yeah. past they're great people um conversely if you have a, a, a senior person who like you hired them for the re- like knowing that they were they were going to go into a role where it's going to be a little crazy and busy like i think a lot of agencies will do something like this where they hire someone knowing that it's going to be a stretch for them um but they're hoping that they're that this person is going to be able to stretch and just take on all that yeah. work like i i would much rather bet on adding a little bit of freelance support to them um yeah. like think of it as as an investment in trying to prevent giving someone severance mm-hmm. when you have to get rid of them because they get burnt out. Yeah. And it's a good way. I, I love what you said, because it's a good way to test. Like, am I ready to scale from a department perspective? Well, let me test this cost by hiring, you know, a real Rosier work reduce or DXM and look at one, this model of virtual world, because almost 90% of them are virtual only, which and positive will teach your team to work globally. Okay. So now you're not stuck asking for local talent somewhere in North Carolina and Goldsboro, North Carolina, for instance. I'm not shitting on that. That city is like next door to mine. <laughs> but like, there might not be as much programmatic talent there. Right. Yeah. Do you have any listenership outside of the US? Because I will say, like, I, I went and worked in Australia for a couple of weeks a few years uh-huh. back when I worked at this agency um, called Forward here in Minneapolis. It's owned by Bain and Company. Oh, cool. I love going to Australia. Yeah. And I, I heard out there that it's really hard to find programmatic talent. Yeah. Aussies, I, I would I would love to <laughs> to help you guys out. You guys start listening to the programmatic digest podcast i do have a global listening there um, actually there are a few uh listeners from australia the EMEA market and then the european market and the african market so like it's growing and we have a strong listening ship from uh the the latin market yeah so so it's growing it's growing so yes hit up uh brett he said he wants to go back to australia very well (laughs) Um, but you have to move the whole family Um, at this point okay 
Don't forget. Don't forget that. <laughs> exactly. We can't leave the babies behind. My wife won't let me. Yeah, my wife will probably not let me go back to Australia without without. Yeah, you. exactly. Um, I got. I was in Berlin. I loved it. Um, oh, but you know what? I, I I am realizing I should. I want to close off on two pieces of business. Um, with the last time that we podcasted, it was like the weekend after the um wild card games in the NFL, in the NFL playoffs and I, I may have said that the Dallas oh, Cowboys yeah. were going to oh, win the Super Bowl mm. and I just want to say that you can't be right all the time um <laughs> it's not my fault yeah. <laughs> but um also my my website was not live at that time the dailyprogger.com it is live now yes, it, is. it is still very much in its early phases and I've I've I'm, I'm trying to get new content yeah. out and um working on working on um, my my guides more around programmatic but I did just recently publish a, a haiku about programmatic that I was hoping you would let me read yeah for go you. for it <laughs> all right it's called pre-launch the campaign waited in my dreams taunting me still one more quick QA <laughs> that's so funny um yeah uh, that's story of our lives I remember dreaming about campaign launch it's something else yep. <laughs> I also remember many years ago when I was like a supervisor at Wendy's there's like the the beeping at the window when somebody was at the window for too long because we had to take cars out in 90 seconds or something like that take the order make the order and then take the car out like in 90 seconds anyway and if you didn't it would beep like and and <laughs> vividly hearing that in my dreams <laughs> yeah great time great time y'all um but i think it's a good way to end today's conversation in recap i definitely think that if you need the help ask for the help and sometimes the help looks like a freelancer it looks like a partnership with real rosie work with you or whoever it is at this point and sometimes it is like don't make your people feel bad for taking vacation i hate that i definitely hate that because it's just one of those things where people need to, you know, people need some time off and 70% of our creativity happens outside of work, outside of your job, 70%. So why wouldn't you not go out in the world and experience peace and relaxation, whatever that means for you, and come back and feel recharged and like spread this, this positivity, spread this creativity around, you know? Um, as a manager, I find it very valuable. And sometimes it doesn't look like a vacation. Sometimes it looks like, a, yo, you need to break. See you in two hours. Not in one hour, not in 20 minutes. See you in two hours. Get off. Log off. <laughs> or take one day off today, this week. Like, you're good. Right. Go home. Go home, Roger. Or log off, Roger. Um, so I do appreciate the conversation. We just Roger. <laughs> I just dated ourselves. If you know what where go home, Roger comes from, you most likely are from the 80s or the 90s. You are. That's from Sister Sisters to my uh, early 2000s. <laughs> to the podcast right now, though, she. Yeah. Um, that's from Sister Sisters. Just, Tia and Terry and Tamara Housley. My, um, I have a nine-year-old mm -hmm. who has binged watch every episode of Sister yeah, Sister in the last one. year. So it's a good one. On Netflix. I was with a nine-year-old as soon as it was available on Netflix. I was one of those people binge watching it. And I was like, oh my gosh, I remember this episode. Oh no, I don't remember this episode. <laughs> I love Lisa. Lisa's hilarious. Yeah, she's my favorite. Lisa's definitely my favorite. I still call her Lisa in every other every other movie. Like she <laughs> she's done several since I'm like, oh my gosh, that's Miss Lisa. Oh, that's yep. <laughs> I tried putting on uh, Legends of the Hidden Temple for my daughter the other day, and she was like, "This is ridiculous. This is stupid." <laughs> Which show you said? She didn't. 
Which one? Legends of the Hidden Temple. No, no, this one. You never watched Legends of the Hidden Temple, the game show on Nickelodeon? It was like a whole bunch of kids. They were on teams like the Purple Monkeys or the or whatever. And they're like, they have this like really complicated like Mayan like pyramid like set. And there's like, there would be like random guys on the sh- like dressed up as like, yeah. I don't know, indigenous people who would jump out and grab the kids mm-hmm. if as they're going through the course. It was a weird show. <laughs> um no, I don't. I don't remember that one. I also did not grow up here in the U.S. I'm until. I'm realizing I can't explain the show. Yeah, at I'm gonna, all. I'm gonna, gonna YouTube it now because now I have to find out. Uh, oh man, that's funny. Um, but cool. So leave us. Um, let's part ways with a, a word of wisdom based on our conversation. Leave us with your wisdom from uh, what we just discussed. Um, I think that there's not necessarily any right or wrong staffing model for yeah, for programmatic. Boom. I think that people just try to be very flexible mm-hmm. um i think you know managers and and agency leadership out there just be aware be aware that your people need to rotate and stay fresh yeah. and if people are having problems you know be aware that they might just need help it, it might uh, <sighs> they might know. just be help it's just because we're seniors and we've been working in the industry for so long it does not mean that we should we should do it all we, it does not mean you know, help can look as easy as just hiring a junior or assigning a junior with multiple seniors, for instance, and delegating, like teaching the senior how to delegate. Like, okay, you're going to take care of all the setups. Whenever I'm optimizing. That's hard. Delegating is hard. Yeah. Whenever I'm optimizing, go ahead and join the call and even giving them optimization, little assignment. Like, what can you tell me as the highest, you know, the best performing ad groups in the last two weeks, things like that. But definitely, definitely like I think it's the, a really big, it's the biggest mistake we make in this industry is thinking that, oh, this person has seniority or experience in the, the field. They should be able to do it all. It's not fair. Let's not put that on our seniors. And that's why seniors leave. That's why they leave. So thank you so much for joining us again. Next week is going to be fireside chat with the community. And we're going to have some Q&A. So if you're listening to this and you have questions, drop it in our inbox. You can find me on LinkedIn. You can find Brett on LinkedIn. All of his information is again at the bottom of this video or in the show notes, if you're listening to the podcast version of it and not on YouTube. Um, and also uh, Brett's um, website is progers.com. Correct. The daily progger. Okay. You know, I said the, the daily the progers the other day and I was like, oh, I don't think it's pregnant. I'm pretty sure there's an O somewhere. <laughs> I'm pregnant. That's I, why I said I that. that. If Prager came out. I hope that like Prague. Yeah, Prague, P-R-O-G. I just think of the short for programmatic. Yeah, the so daily Prager. Someone who programmatic. Don't, don't, don't Google Prager <laughs> out here. Okay, you'll get different content. No. Uh, but anyway, everything is in the show notes again and every in the last three episodes. And this is the three out of the fourth episode of the series. So thank you all for joining us and we'll see y'all next week. Thanks, Brad. Yeah, thank you.